You're listening to episode 62, brought to you by Tula and ModCloth. For 20% off your first order from Tula, visit tula.com slash lovely and enter the promo code lovely. And for 15% off your first purchase of $100 or more from ModCloth, go to modcloth.com and enter the code lovely at checkout. But this offer expires on June 29th, 2018. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely, the podcast for real moms who are seeking Jesus, trying to live their roles well, and working to add a little bit more loveliness to their lives, even in just the little moments. I'm your host, Mackenzie Monroe from CultivatingTheLovely.com, and you can find me at Bold Turquoise across pretty much all social media. And today I am so excited to have a super fun guest who is actually local to me, which is rare to have happen, and that is Sarah McKenzie from the Read Aloud Revival. We had such a hoot getting to chat and I seriously love her new book. It's been majorly impactful to where we are going from here and how I'm going to be able to connect with my kids in the future. So I'm so excited to be able to let you guys in on that conversation more today. But first, I wanted to mention some exciting things that are happening with Cultivating the Lovely, and one of them is releasing today, and that is the relaunch of the Lovely Homeschool course. So if you haven't heard already, we are having a big sale all day long today, Wednesday, April 25th, 2018, to reopen this course for the summer. If you were already in last year, then you're still in. But if you'd like to get in on this course, which really helps moms, whether you're a new homeschooling mom or a veteran homeschooling mom, be able to plan and prep your year in a really solid way. I had Katie Duckett on at the beginning of this week on the podcast to talk about it and her experiences with the course. So you can kind of go back and listen to that if you want some more information. But all day long today, we're increasing the course by a dollar every hour on the half hour until it gets up to the main sale price of $19.99. So if you want in on it, you could get it as low as $5.99 by 6.30 this morning Pacific time until it'll increase all the way through the day until it gets to the $19.99 in the evening. And then it will hold at that price for one week until it goes up to $24.99, which will be our base price throughout the rest of the summer if you'd like to be a part of the course. It's got a full set of printables that go along with it, an interactive Facebook group to get ideas from moms who've done the course before or her doing the course right now. It's packed full of resources and I think some really solid information to help you have your best homeschooling year yet. So please come over and join us. I would love to have you over there. And I know it sounds a little crazy because as I'll be talking about more in this episode and into the future, I'm not actually going to be a homeschool mom moving forward. But I still believe that this information that I put together a year ago is solid and good information to help moms be the best homeschoolers that they can be. And I'm applying a lot of these principles to our life in other ways as I am moving forward with putting my kids in school. In fact, I have a whole new podcast that's going to be coming out this fall specifically derived from these kinds of ideas of being able to connect with our kids and have things planned in advance and really talk over literature and great poetry and Bible verses. And there's going to be a lot more coming about that very soon because it's going to be a resource that all of you guys can 
can use as well, which I'm just super excited about. But until that time comes, if you just want to get a leg up on your homeschooling for next year, then be sure you check out the Lovely Homeschool course at thelovelyhomeschoolcourse.com. Get in there today, get in there early at the sale price, and we would love to have you. And I can't wait for you to be able to really utilize this resource. Okay, you guys, without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Sarah McKenzie because she's just so much fun. Oh, Mackenzie, thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited to have you because this book just really, it's speaking into my life at the perfect time. It couldn't have been released at a better time. So I'm so glad. It's like you did that for me. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Yes. But I'm sure a lot of people know who you are, but if they don't, would you like to introduce yourself really quickly? Yeah, sure. My husband, Andrew, and I live in the Pacific Northwest, actually not too far from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, with our six kids, our oldest is 16. She's a 10th grader. Our youngest are four and a half year old twins. And um, I run the Read Aloud Revival, which is a podcast and online community that is helping parents make meaningful and lasting connections with their kids through books. Yes. And it is so lovely. I mean, just just a little background on how I found Sarah is I have a friend who is local and she was actually the one who showed me your podcast. I mean, I think you maybe had like 10 or 12 episodes in the books at that point. So how many years ago was it that you started it? It was four years ago. Four years ago now. Yeah. Crazy. What, how different is your life now? I mean, whoa. Um, but yeah, so she showed me it very early on. I think I just got pregnant, actually, with my three-year-old, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So she told me about it. She was also the friend who told me that I should start a podcast, <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. But she just loved it, and I was addicted instantly and heard Misty Winkler's episode, and then somehow Misty and I became friends And I kind of geeked out over Misty when she started talking to me. I was like, wait, you've been on the Read Aloud Revival. (laughs) You've been on this huge podcast. And uh, she was just like normal. And she lives pretty close to us. And she came to town. And then we ended up meeting, which was fun because I didn't even know you lived here. And then I think we saw you post about your weather one time. And my friend and I were like, wait a minute. (laughs) That's our weather. Yeah. So it was just a coincidence that we actually are in the same spot. I know. And it was so fun to meet you. And it's a kind of weird because we don't live in a huge town. It's kind of yeah. weird that we don't run into each other more often. I know. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And well, I have friends who will, who will always say like, oh, I saw Sarah at Fred Meyer. <laughs> at Fred Meyer. And that yes. is always where people run into me. And That's every time hilarious. I'm at Fred Meyer now. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's so funny because if someone goes, hey, we, we met before. I'm like, it's been at Fred Meyer, I'm sure. Because yeah. we at Fred Meyer practically. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I had a friend who said like, I even went up to her and like made her take her earbuds out of her ears because <laughs> I just had to talk to her. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, she's a great I remember friend. that because I felt like, just, like, oh my gosh, I'm the weird lady in the produce section <laughs> listening to a podcast. But you know, sometimes you just got to do what you need so to do. T- that's so true. You really have to, especially when you've got six kids and twins. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you take all the earbudness that you need to, to survive right. that. <laughs> so, but what I really am excited about talking to you about today is this brand new book that you have out, The Read Aloud Family. And okay, so to be honest, we were supposed to record two weeks ago, and I got the book less than a week before, 
And it got to two days before we were supposed to record. And I was like, I don't have time to read this book. So I listened to you on double speed on Audible. Oh, wow. To get through the book. <laughs> because I was like, I have to know what she says. And so you you sound fabulous at any speed. Can we just say that? <laughs> Way to I go. Just, I just want to say that I cannot imagine listening to myself on double speed. <laughs> it was worth it. wow yeah I hope I didn't laugh in your ear because that would be a little intense (laughs) no it was it was really it was well done at double speed I was tremendously impressed because especially like as a voiceover artist I'm very picky about my audiobooks and so I was like I don't even know if I can handle this but I'm just gonna do it because we gotta get through it and it was it was so good though and I was so glad I have the physical copy to go back and like dive more into all the different points but I was just, it was so refreshing to me because as people are going to be finding out, like my educational journey with my kids is changing a lot next year. And you're, I was worried. Okay. So I was worried heading into next year. Like how will I still connect with my kids, be involved in their education? And you reminded me through your book, how possible that is. Mm. So do you want to just give like kind of a synopsis of what, what you talk about in the book? So when I started writing The Read Aloud Family, it was funny because I thought that I was writing a manifesto on reading aloud. That's what I set out to do, I guess. And then as I was writing, I realized that's not what it was. What it ended up being is a manifesto on connecting with our, if you want to call it a manifesto, on connecting with our It's a great word. (laughs) It kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, It feels very important. But really, it was just, I realized the most important thing is connecting with our kids, is nurturing those relationships. That's what we long for really in our heart of hearts. And so reading aloud just ends up being a simple, powerful way to do that. So anyway, for the first third of the book, the first um, five chapters or so, it's all about the benefits of reading aloud. And what I'm really hoping to do is sort of light a fire under Mm -hmm. people because in the midst of our busy, chaotic, normal days, I think it's really easy to think that reading aloud is one of the easiest things to cut off our list. It's mm-hmm. We never feel like we have time for it. You never see the immediate benefits of reading aloud, so it can feel like, why am I even doing this? Yeah. So what I was hoping to do is remind people of all the academic benefits and the emotional benefits and helping our kids become kind and empathetic and then reminding us of the tremendous connections we can make with our children when we read with them. And that's the whole first third of it. And then the second part um, is, I think, six chapters. And that that is all kind of practical nitty gritty. How do we do this? How do mm-hmm. we make time for it? How do we have meaty conversations with our kids about the ideas they encounter in books? And how do we connect with them, practically speaking? Yeah. And then the third part are book lists. And they're just read aloud recommendations uh, divided up by age. So that was really fun. It was harder to make that section than I thought it would be. But... Yeah, that was that section is proof of a lot of work. Holy moly. <laughs> I did more reading in preparation for writing this book than I have ever done in my entire life. <laughs> I bet you did. I mean, yeah. and you're you're kind of like the queen of book lists. I mean, you have a lot of book lists, but I was seriously impressed just with the extent and the, you know, like synopsis of the book. Like, I mean, it was that was that was really something. Way to go on writing a major book. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's so fun. I really wanted to make sure I had read every book I recommended in that family cover to cover. And there ended up being almost 400 book recommendations in there. So it just, it was a lot of, yeah, there was a lot of uh, realizing that this is a really good book, but it's not quite good for reading aloud or especially with those um, chapters on the chapter on teens. uh, There's books that are great to hand to teens, but that you don't want to read aloud to them. Um, Mm -hmm. 
but that helped you encounter some big ideas and things. So anyway, it was it was more challenging than I expected. It was very satisfying, though. Yeah. Oh, I bet. So just, yeah. I mean, that's like such proof of like, look what I've done. Look how much I've read. I mean, that's like my ultimate Goodreads goal <laughs> to have that much on there. That was how long did it take you to read all of that? Um, I have no idea. I can say that like in the last three months that I was writing the book, I was probably reading five hours a day. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty insane. I mean, it got to the point where when I was done writing the book, I was like, I want to read like nonfiction essays on something <laughs> completely unrelated because I needed a break. But um, there were so, so many books that I would start. Here's the other thing that happened that I didn't expect. There were so many books I started and would get maybe halfway in or a third of the way in and realized mm, this isn't going to make the list. Mm-hmm. And I, I might want to finish reading it, but I couldn't because I needed yeah. to finish making my list. So I read like a third or a half of a whole bunch of books that weren't listed in there yeah. that I sort of now feel like I should go back and finish. But I mean, you don't really want to do that either. So yeah, because you're like <laughs> exhausted from the yeah, 400 exactly. books you did read. But it's so funny because I think a lot of times like I do a lot of reading for the podcast because it's the same kind of thing. Like I, I want to present things to people that I really I know what I'm talking about and I've read it and, you know, so I do a lot of, I feel like nonfiction reading for the podcast. And so yeah. the fiction then is what I turn to for just like the story and the reprieve, but you had the opposite experience. I did. Yeah. I wanted like nonfiction written for adults instead of middle. I mean, usually, usually I love reading middle grade fiction and I'm back into it now, of course. Yeah. But yeah, there was a period of time where I was like, and that is all for me for a yeah. while. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I, the, yeah, that it would just be so backwards. But yeah. I get it. I totally yeah. get it. I want to tell you ladies about a line of skincare that I've been trying out recently that I'm so excited about because you know I'm all about skincare. In fact, in the Patreon group in March, we talked all about facial care and how to be taking care of our face as well. So when I heard my friend Emily Thomas talk about getting products from Tula, I knew that I wanted to try them out and this is the main reason why. They're not just your basic skincare products. These products are actually founded on the idea of putting probiotics on your skin. You know I tend to be more crunchy and want to be thinking about how to be nourishing our bodies all the way through. And the idea of putting probiotics actually on our faces seemed ingenious to me. So they were actually created by Dr. Rashani Raj, a practicing gastroenterologist, which you wouldn't think would be into skincare, but it really makes a lot of sense when she realized that probiotics can be doing as much for our faces as they can for our insides. Tula offers affordable probiotic products for all your skin care needs, and they are clinically proven to help strengthen your skin's natural defenses, which I also think is really important because we are meeting so many things in our environment today. It's really important to have kind of a protective layer in our skin, and that's exactly what Tula does. In addition to the probiotics, they put superfoods like vitamin C, blueberry, and turmeric, all really great nourishing things to also help with wrinkles and hydration and all those kinds of issues as well. I was sent their purifying cleanser, which is really nice and silky smooth. I really feel like all my makeup gets removed with that. And my other favorite product that they sent me is their proglycolic pH resurfacing gel. It really refreshes my skin. It makes it feel just hydrated and tightens things up a little bit. I love putting it on both morning and evening. I also was really excited because I got to try out one of their new products, their Kefir Ultimate Recovery Mask. It's super nourishing and creamy and it's just kind of 
like going to the spa and getting to to pamper myself a little bit with this recovery mask. I love that it's based out of kefir. It just it makes me feel all kinds of happy. And plus, this is just a fun little thing about Tula is the packaging is beautiful. That just speaks to my love language. So if you want to check out these products that are basically like putting a health smoothie right on your face, then you can go to Tula.com slash lovely. That's T-U-L-A dot com slash lovely and get 20% off your order. You can just put in the promo code lovely at checkout and be able to get that 20% off. Again, you can go to Tula, T-U-L-A dot com slash lovely to get 20% off and enter the code I loved, I mean, specifically, like you're talking about the different, the way you structured the book. But I found that even when you were putting out like the research of it, it still was so balanced with story. Like you made it personal and real life. And I just felt like you did a really good job of balancing the research, the practicality, and the real life story of how this looks in your life. So I just want to commend you for that because it wasn't one of those nonfiction books that you get and you just feel like, this is just somebody's story, but how do I apply it? Mm. Or this is just a lot of research, but how do I apply it? Or what does this look like in their life? You know, I, I really liked that you gave us the example, but then you gave us like those practical how-tos. And so I thought you did a really good job there, but this is where I'm going to kind of break off into. So a friend of mine who is actually local to us, she's seen you talk, I don't know, four or five times. (laughs) She has read everything you've ever put out there. She's listened to every episode of the Read Aloud Revival, and she really attributes the revolutionizing of her homeschool to your work and your philosophy. It really, I mean, and being a witness to her homeschool, it's beautiful. Like I've had her on the podcast. She is amazing. She does such a good job. Her name is Katie Duckett, Mm. but she had some specific questions (laughs) that when she found out you were coming on the show, she was like, well, ask her about this and ask her about that. And I felt like, well, because she is such a devotee of yours, that these would probably be pretty good questions that hopefully you don't just answer all the time because she is so familiar with your work. Like if you had answered them, she would know. (laughs) I'm totally game. This sounds really fun. (laughs) Okay. So I have like three specific ones. So first of all, she's curious about like picking up books and finding them for your kids that have the theme, like she's really interested in imparting those big themes to her kids, you know, about empathy or, you know, whatever, like getting those across through story. But how do you do that when you're just picking up a book off the shelves at the library? Like, what tips do you have for choosing those books if you haven't read them yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, because I know that when I go into a bookstore or into the library, and especially with the new books that are coming out, the ones that are oftentimes front facing or on display, it's really hard to know if something is worth your time and attention (laughs) if you haven't. And it's not on any book list yet because it's brand new, maybe, or you just haven't seen it. You know, it hasn't been made its way around the block yet for you to see it recommended on a book list. Um, I do something called, I call it the three question test, but this is basically how I choose a book out of the blue. If it's not on a book list, if I haven't seen it recommended anywhere, if a friend didn't tell me to read it, but I just see something cold in the bookstore, I pick it up. And the first thing I do is I read the first, if it's like a novel, I'll read the first um, maybe the first page. If it's a picture book, I'll read the first couple pages. Then I'll flip through and I'll get about a third of the way in and I'll read a couple more paragraphs or a couple more pages, depending on if it's a novel or a, 
a picture book. And this whole thing should take maybe three minutes. It's very, very fast. And then I'm going to ask myself three questions. I'm going to shut the book. And I want to ask myself three questions. The first thing I want to ask myself is about the imagery. If it was a novel, can I close my eyes and visualize what I just read? Because we want really rich um, imagery through our, that really good books paint pictures in your mind. If it's a picture book, you can actually look at the real images and say, you know, did I want to look at this longer than than I had to? Or was it just like flip the page, get onto the next thing, flip the page? Did you want to sit there and stare at it for a minute? So that's the first thing I'm looking for imagery. The second thing I'm looking for is really good vocabulary. So that's really easy to tell if it's dumbed down language or if it's going to be rich language Mm -hmm. you can tell in a few paragraphs in a novel or a page or two in a picture book it becomes clear right away and then the third question is just am I curious to know what happens next because I think a lot of times we feel like we have to read something because um well because someone recommended it to us or it's supposed to be quote unquote a really good book but if we're not interested in finding out what happens next we're not gonna I mean we're not gonna read that's what happens We'll, we'll have a million other things to do instead of reading with our kids so that's the way I choose a book quickly. Now that doesn't mean that we're not going to encounter things in that book that I wish we hadn't, which yeah. happens in the content. And I think I tend to just look at those, uh, those situations when we, when we stumble across a book that I think, eh, this isn't what I thought it would be, or this has content in it that I wasn't ready to introduce to my kids. I could take it in one of two directions. I'll either just ditch it and say, you know what, we're not ready for this now, but we'll come back to it. Mm-hmm. Or I'll just use it as an opportunity to talk about talk about that yeah. issue, depending on the ages of your kids and what they're ready for, right? Yeah. And what the content is you stumbled across. And I think sure. every parent has been given their God-given intuition that can decide for their family when they're ready to cover different, different big, hard issues. But- mm-hmm. One yeah. of the things that I love about books is that it, it's like a gateway, you know, like breaks open the opportunity for us to have these conversations about things we wouldn't ordinarily bring up yeah. around the dinner table. So that's sort of the way I think about that. And then one more thing. Sorry. I know yeah. I just like took over the podcast. No, um, I love it. <laughs> that's the best. Makes my job easy. <laughs> um I think there's one question in particular. In chapter 11, there's 10 questions you can ask your kids about any book they read that can lead into a really good conversation. And what I love about those questions is that you can ask them to a two-year-old or you can ask them to a 17-year-old. And depending on where that child is developmentally and where they're at, where the book is, what kind of book it is, that will sort of determine the kind of conversation you have with your kids, but they can all start the conversation. But there's one question I think that does that better if you want to jump right into the big ideas in the book. Um, And that question is the first one that I listed in the, in the chapter, which is uh, what does the main character want and why can't they have it? Because all stories are about a character who wants something, usually pretty desperately. Sometimes they know they want it, and sometimes they don't know they want it. Yeah. But they're all about a character who wants something, and something gets in their way. That's why stories are inspiring to us, right? Because they're about people who overcome obstacles. But you can cut right to the heart of the biggest ideas in the book by asking that simple question. And do you think and- that you base kind of the selection of your books off of that question or is it just do you just pick good books because you think they're good books but you're not specifically looking for a certain theme that you're wanting to like impart to your kids 
I tend to just pick good books that are delightful that kind of meet us wherever. Sometimes we're in the mood for a classic. Sometimes I just want something fun, like a page-turning mystery. Sometimes someone just recommended a book to me so heartily that I'll be like, okay, we'll try this one. Mm -hmm. I don't usually try and choose books based on theme. I will occasionally, though, if I'm noticing a certain child struggling with something and I know a book that, that, you know, digs into a topic that will Mm -hmm. be helpful to them, I may go ahead and either hand it to them or decide to read it aloud with them. But for the most part, I don't. Um, I don't look to books to necessarily impart um, specific wisdom to my kids. Mm -hmm. I want the the stories to kind of speak to them wherever they're at. Okay. Yeah, because I think that, like, my friend Katie, she she loves the idea of story and being able to convey those messages through story. And so that's where she's wanting to find, like, how does she find the specific themes that she's wanting to impart to her kids? But I think that maybe she needs to write a book with her own book list of yeah, these yeah. themes. Katie, you're you're on it. Yeah. <laughs> <Shelby Lipstick. laughs> but you talked about the 10 questions, which is one of the next things that I wanted to talk about with you, because I love the 10 questions. I think that is one of the most, I mean, you've got the book list, which is amazing, but I think the 10 questions is one of the most practical things in the book because they're so open-ended and they really help you to dive into those ideas with your kids. Like you said, whether you've read the book or not and have bigger discussions, which you talk about all the time. But my friend Katie was curious because she's a big lover of deconstructing penguins. And they talk about really wanting to discuss like what the author's intention was. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, do you ever kind of dive into that side of things? Like what the author was actually trying to get across or is it more kind of how your kids have interpreted or found things through the book? Yeah, that's a good question. I talked to um, Lawrence Goldstone is the author of Deconstructing Penguins. And he came on the show as talking about sort of that idea of, um, of how every book is a mystery and the mystery is finding out what the author intended. Mm -hmm. And I think those can be really good conversations as long as we remember our place. I, I, my biggest worry with that question, with that figuring out what does the author intend is that we can't actually know because for a lot of the books, the author is dead. Yeah. (laughs) And for a lot of the books where they're living, um, with the authors I've talked to on the podcast, like Catherine Patterson and Linda Sue Park and Jonathan Augier and, the interesting thing is, is that so often we get it wrong when we make yeah. guesses about what the author intended or they didn't actually intend. We are looking too deeply into it, I mm-hmm. think, sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so I've heard Kate DeCamillo say the same thing, that when, you know, teachers teach her books, her award-winning books in their classroom, and they're talking about themes, she has no idea what their answers are going to be. And she's like, yeah. I never, a lot of times they'll say, what did Kate intend to do with, you know, XYZ. And she's like, no, that's not at all what happened. So I just think it's an interesting conversation as long as we retain that humility and realizing we can't actually know a lot of the time, but it certainly can lend itself to a really interesting conversation for sure. It was kind of funny just last night. I don't even know why I got sucked into this. It was one of those clickbait things, but it was like, what was really this thing behind whatever in Forrest Gump? <laughs> and so I started go- <laughs> reading this ridiculous article. And some of it was interesting or whatever. Like, this is how, you know, some of it I knew. Like, this is how they, you know, got rid of Lieutenant Dan's legs or, you know, whatever. But some of it was like, but now we need to read the interpretation into why Forrest was wearing the blue checkered shirt every time they cut to him on the bench. And it was like, because... Every time he was on the bench, he was in the same shirt. Like, why Why do we need to read more into that than just it was the shirt 
that they yeah. picked out. And it's so tempting to try and parse apart all the symbolism and all the tropes and all. And there is some of that, of course, in books. But I think some it's almost um, it's an act of humility to realize that this that maybe the, the story is a bit of a mystery, even to the author who yeah. wrote it. Right. Yeah. And so I think as long I mean, we can do it. And I think it's a worthwhile pursuit to try and figure out what the author was saying and certainly with some books the author is being more over about whatever a message than in others but um I just I think it's kind of it goes back to this idea and I can't remember who who I heard this first from um I think it might have been a man named James Daniels who I heard at the Circe conference um he talked about overstanding and understanding and how when we dissect literature uh, from an overstanding, we're not any, we're not humble to the story anymore. Now mm-hmm. we're just trying to like, yeah, l- give it, ask the story to give it more than it ever, the author ever meant to give us. But yeah. understanding is more of an act of humility and letting the story sort of be what it is, even if we don't totally understand it. And I can see yeah. that. I, I think there's a little bit more mystery and delight when we sort of allow ourselves not to have all the answers. Yeah. I agree with that. It's, I mean, sometimes it's even like with a movie or, you know, like finding out the behind the scenes stuff, sometimes it makes it a little less magical when you know how they actually did it or, you know, whatever. It's like, just let it be what it is and and take it for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So the final question from my friend Katie and <laughs> she, this is really from a place of adoring you. So I want to say that right now is she talked about how kind of amazed she is that, I mean, you don't have children who are grown and gone yet. And yet you have really become an expert in this field of reading aloud and, you know, all the authors you've talked to and the research. And I mean, the, I mean, everybody, you've had amazing people on your podcast about how important this is. And you've really made yourself one of those experts and you are able to be so sure that this is working and that this is going to work. And like what allows you, I mean, you see it working but how how have you because I think as especially like as homeschoolers or I mean, even just parents in general trying to parent our kids, we're constantly doubting ourselves. And yeah. I think that that can we can get caught up in that and we can be on this road of like, OK, this thing is working. But oh, what wait, what if it doesn't work? And we can kind of self-sabotage. And so what has allowed you to really remain so steadfast and run down this road kind of without looking back? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, yes, because my oldest is 16. And so here's the thing, uh, for many, many years early on in parenting, I was just really devouring, um, everything I could, I could get from parents, especially homeschooling parents, but parents who were further down the road than I was. Mm -hmm. And what I can, what I heard when I was listening to them really carefully is the same things over and over, which was, you know, relationships matter more than anything else. And if I could go back and change things, this is what I would do. And I found so many common threads, threads in there that I just wanted to take those for myself. Um, interestingly, when I launched the Read Aloud Revival, I certainly didn't think I was going to be an expert. Um, it was more like my own. I, it was sort of like, okay, I was bubbling over with excitement about how transformative reading aloud was being actively in my home Mm -hmm. that I wanted to share it. And then I would get all this feedback from other families who had the same experience and then families who had kids who were grown who said that was the best thing I ever did. And then I just threw myself into the research behind story and sharing books and language with our children. 
And so all of that kind of came together into what I feel like we do at the Read Letter Revival, which I kind of hate to think of as um, me as an expert telling people how to read a lot with their kids, because what I feel like it is more is we benefit more as parents if we're empowered to make really good choices for our own families. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in homeschooling and in reading aloud and in parenting, we actually can do the very best job when we just are able to see clearly and give and have the confidence to make choices for our family that fit our own individual family, mm-hmm. which is why I feel like so many experts and gurus who make us when we leave and they make us feel like all the things that we should be doing or could be doing better, or we sort of feel weighed down by what we're not living up to. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the opposite of how I want people to feel when they come to the read aloud revival is more like a feeling of, I can do this. And this is an amazing way I can, com- I can connect with my kids and the research shows it. And these, yeah. ex- you know, all these experienced parents and leaders say so. And that read aloud revival ends up just sort sort of being a, I don't know, a voice or a, what's oh, the word I'm looking for? Like a channel, a way, yeah. a way to give confidence to parents who need it. I definitely think it's an encouragement, and I do like the way, I mean, I've heard you talk about it before, but definitely in the book, you break that down to, it doesn't have to be this all or nothing thing, that you don't have to completely revolutionize your life and read aloud eight hours a day to make this be effective, that it can be five minutes a day, it can be, you know, a couple times a week, it can be whatever it is to step up what you're already doing, and it will be impactful. And so I I do think you do a good job of making that not feel like overpowering to parents. Well, and I think too, like as a parent, I, when I'm reading, you know, books on parenting or how to, or nonfiction books, I have a better experience when I realize that the person writing them doesn't necessarily have all the final answers that they're going to like on their deathbed go, okay, I agree with everything I ever wrote. You know what I mean? Yeah. But say, you know that was my, that was a journey I lived out loud and I sort of let it, I sort of shared everything that I felt like I had an overabundance of and that, um, we end up benefiting when we don't put people on an, on a platform that then makes mm-hmm. says, you know, they have to know all the right answers and they can't say anything that's wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It ends up being kind of freeing for both the person who's listening and the person who's talking as well. Well, and I think the more authentic the person is who's talking, the easier it is to kind of stick with them for the long haul. You know, I think that you do a pretty good job of being authentic, not saying like, oh, my kids sit here perfectly, you know, and, (laughs) you know, with their hands folded and sipping their tea with their pinkies out while I'm reading aloud. Like, that's not what this looks like. That's not real life. And I think we get more dissuaded when we are around authors or, you know, whatever kind of leader. And then and they do present themselves as things having gone fairly perfectly and then when the cracks show through it's like well wait a minute why did why did I follow you where if you would have seen the cracks all along it's yeah. like it's just easier to keep up with the message yeah. yeah yeah I think so too I think you've done a pretty good job of that and so I want to one of the things I know you've talked about is struggling readers because I know that is something you've had you've experienced and I want to just hit on that for a minute because it's definitely something that I've experienced and one of my kind of heartbreaks in leaving homeschooling behind is never feeling like we really got to the place that I wanted us to get to where we could just purely enjoy books because the getting to the point of being able to read fluently has been such a struggle yeah And so 
what do you suggest to parents who, like, for me, that's kind of being taken off my plate. I'm not, you know, I had, I didn't really choose this, but this is the path we're, we're going down now of my kids going to school. Someone else is going to be taking, taking over that role. Mm -hmm. And it does, it does free me to be able to just do the enjoying of the books with Mm -hmm. my kids now. So what would be your best suggestions to someone who's either in my position or who has had a struggling reader for helping bring back that, that joy in reading? account this year we've been all about self-care and one of the big parts of self-care is our personal style the clothes that we're wearing actually putting on real clothes every day so i want to tell you about a brand that i'm really excited about because they have quality pieces that really make you be able to have your personal style make your statement and invest in your wardrobe in a very personal way and that is mod cloth and right off the bat i'm going to tell you that mod cloth is giving us 15 percent off our purchases of a hundred dollars or more So you can go to modcloth.com, M-O-D-C-L-O-T-H.com, and enter the code LOVELY at checkout to get that 15% off. But just so you know, this expires on June 29th, 2018. But first, let me go back and tell you a little bit about ModCloth for a second because it's a pretty awesome company. It's a signature label designed by women for women. And what's more, these exclusive looks come in a full range of sizes from extra extra small to 4x. So it doesn't matter what body type you're working with, they have got something for you. And I think this is one of my favorite things about this company is they have mod stylists that can hook you up with complimentary sizing and styling help. I mean, how fun is that to be able to actually have somebody help you figure out what your style is and the right pieces that are going to work for your body. Also, since it's wedding season, a lot of us have weddings to be in or go to. Mod Cloth actually has a bridal boutique, whether you're a bride, bridesmaid, or just a best dressed guest. You can get free sizing and styling help on all of the bridal stuff as well. So that's something that's kind of fun and you might want to be able to go check out. I have to say though, after perusing their site for myself, some of the things that I am really hoping to be able to invest in for this summer are their easy breezy skirts and dresses because I love wearing skirts and dresses in the summer. They're just so easy and they have some beautiful easy looks plus some really pretty floral shirts and I'm really excited about their bathing suits as well because hello mama four I'm not super excited about wearing a bathing suit anywhere but they have some really cute modest styles that I feel like will cover the right kinds of things in the right places and I'm super excited to be able to hopefully get one of those very soon so again if you want to get 15% off your purchase of $100 or more get a few pieces for your wardrobe for summer to freshen things up and feel good about yourself go to modcloth.com m-o-d-c-l-o-t-h.com and enter the code lovely at checkout but remember you gotta hurry because this offer expires on June June 29th, 2018. Yeah, I think that joy and delight in reading is way more important than most of us think. Um, There's some research that's really interesting that shows that kids whose parents believe that reading, the primary uh, purpose for reading is entertainment, they -hmm. actually read more and they're better readers than parents whose kids or I'm sorry, kids whose parents think that reading is primarily for academic or professional success. And so that tells us a lot about how 
our kids will be better readers and they'll read more (laughs) if we actually see it as a source of joy and entertainment first and foremost, which I think goes kind of against the grain for a lot of us where we're like, but wait, (laughs) there's another thing here. And there is another thing going on here. But um, especially in someone in your position, I think you have a unique opportunity to really just harness the joy in reading in your home and make reading all about that joy and delight. So I would read aloud books that you loved as a child, books that lit you up, even if they're not high literary value. Um, I would do things like read a book and watch a movie just for fun without trying to have an academic conversation about it, but just to enjoy being with each other and share the experience of walking a mile in someone else's shoes through story. Because the thing is, is we connect with our kids when we share the experience of a story. What Mm -hmm. happens is when we read a story together, we're on the same page. We're on the same side. We, uh, even if we've been butting heads all day, when we sit down and we start reading The Wonderful Wizard of Oz or The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we're rooting for the same characters. We're on the same team again. So it gets to be this opportunity just to connect and bond and love each other and pay attention to each other in a unique way. And so then we can say, you know what, in our home, uh, yes, of course we read for school, but primarily we read for the love of it. Yeah. And I think that as heartbroken as I am, over not being a homeschooler anymore, that is one thing that I'm kind of finding solace in, that, okay, we can we can just read to read. I'm not trying to get anything across to you. And I really feel like your questions allow us to have those like actual conversations where we're allowing it to do the work of connection and relationship instead of academia. Yeah. Well, just like how I sort of figured out when I was writing The Read Aloud Family, I figured out that I wasn't really writing about reading aloud. I was writing about connection. I I have a hunch that what you'll find, I mean, I have a hunch that what you'll find when your kids are in school is that it's really not about where your kids get their education, uh, their education. It's about connection, whether or not they're, you know, which hours of the day they're with you or with not. It's all about connection. And um, books will end up, can, can end up being just a really simple way to get there. But yeah. the whole point is all about connecting connecting with our kids and nurturing their relationships and giving their hearts, which is what we really want, right? Well, absolutely. And I think that because I, you know, I'm right now has been like enrolling my kids in school and doing all of that and having to take that step. And there's been so much just unrest and like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is where we're at. But reading your book listening to you at double speed, (laughs) (laughs) which is an experience all in itself. It really was. I don't ever, I I think I was actually cooking dinner faster (laughs) because I was listening (laughs) to you talk so quickly. Um, But it really, it really did calm my heart. We will be able, I can be intentional in this. I can allow this to be a mainstay in our family. Like you talk about like forming your family culture around books. Like I almost feel like we can do that more now than ever because I can, I can put that intention into it. I mean, people will be hearing more about that intention over the summer as I talk about some new projects that I have coming up, but it really has helped me to reframe how, how we're reestablishing our family really. And what, what our family looks like now and who we are and our goals and how we are going to connect. And so I'm so grateful that this book came to me exactly when it did, because it's really helping me to do that. 
So I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But you know, really, because the Read Aloud family isn't really a book about homeschooling at all. I think I mentioned that I homeschool once in there. Yeah. But what I I really didn't want is I didn't want it to be pegged as a homeschooling book because of exactly what you just said. Really, all of us, all parents who love their children long to connect with their kids. And we really want to, we, we know we only have a certain number of years to sort of make those relationships matter mm-hmm. at home so that our kids will look back fondly and they'll like want to come home for Christmas someday, <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so it doesn't so much matter where our kids get their day-to-day school as it does that they're, they feel like loved and noticed, appreciated, respected, and valued by their parents, which comes from their parents taking time to be with them, be present with them. I love, yeah. I don't know if you ever listened to Dr. Meg Meeker's podcast. I love mm-hmm. that podcast. And yeah, she says in there, You know, our kids don't need us to do more. They need us to just be present with them. They don't need more activities. They don't need more. To build your kids' self-esteem, what you really need to do is just look in their eyes and tell them that you enjoy hanging out with them. And so it's. I think that is the best part about reading aloud is kind of that's what we do every time we read with them. We basically say, hey, I'm willing to stop the world from spinning on its crazy orbit for 15 minutes to read The Wonderful Wizard of Oz with you. Yeah, I hope I didn't make it sound like your book is about homeschooling because it totally isn't. And I think that's why it was as impactful to me when it was because it was like, I haven't lost that ability to connect with my kids through books just because we aren't going to be homeschoolers anymore. Like that world is still completely open to us. Yeah. 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 It's just about figuring it out, out what it looks like for you. Exactly. New schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Which which can be exciting if you let it be. If you don't yeah. get bogged down with like the, oh my goodness, our life is, you know, changing. It can be like, okay, our life is changing. So this is one of those books that I'm just really grateful came at the at the right time. It was like a God thing. So, Aww. so thank you. You did a, a fabulous job and I was so honored to be able to read it. So Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So... Now we're kind of like wrapping things up. So how are you currently cultivating loveliness in your life, Sarah? Oh, I would say probably the thing that comes to mind first is putting my phone down more often, (laughs) which I have to do regularly. Like I have to regularly do this thing where I intentionally put my phone down, which kind of annoys me that I can't just like maintain the practice. But just like everybody else, it sneaks into my hand and I start to read less. I start to be present less with my family. I start to have less quiet time and space in my life because I have to check that one little thing on my phone. So, um, kind of happens at the change of seasons where I notice, oh yeah, I'm back in that habit again. So I've noticed that I will appreciate the things that are lovely in my normal everyday life, like flowers on the counter or my four-year-old's laughter or a great conversation between my teenagers if I am more present. And that for me usually looks like putting down my, my stinking phone for a few yeah. minutes than I want oh, I to. Hear ya. <laughs> I hear you on that one. Um, For me, how I'm currently cultivating loveliness, I can think of a few different things. But the one I'm going to say is just last week on the podcast, we were talking about hobbies. And through the course of doing the podcast, I was like, I'm not even really like doing my hobbies (laughs) because our life has been so crazy. And so I realized like one of the things I really love to do is make my planner pretty. I know that's ridiculous, but... I really enjoy it. And so I went in the garage and I dug out like the very bottom box in my parents' garage had all my planner stuff in it. And I just took out like my favorite things. And I just bought like a little storage bag that has like separate pockets and stuff for everything just of my 
my favorite things that I can use so that they're accessible. Mm. And it's like that creative outlet that's just a small something. It's not like getting out paints and, you know, whatever, but yeah. it's a little thing that I can slap some stickers and some washi tape into my planner and feel like, okay, I did something pretty today. And well, and you don't feel like it has to be some masterpiece because it's yeah. just this week's schedule, right? But it yeah. just makes, yeah, it's like that small thing that makes everything a little more beautiful. I love exactly. it. Exactly. So that's how I am currently cultivating loveliness. So are you ready for my stock questions? I am ready. Okay. Candles or essential oil diffuser? Candles. Okay. Cloth napkins or paper? Uh, <laughs> I don't have to admit this. Paper. Okay. Well, if you said anything other than that with the number of children you have, have kids, two right. of which who are twins, I was going to be like, okay, we seriously need you to talk about your Wonder Woman abilities, which uh, yeah, I probably- lie openly on a podcast yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay city or country oh that's hard Con- uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm an extrovert so I want to say city but my heart wants to say country so um I'm gonna say I'm gonna say country okay all right <laughs> the agony of making a decision okay I know paper or digital Oh, digital. And I hate that kind of, but like I've tried to use paper planners again. I used to use them all the time, um, especially for like a calendar. And I just can't, I think this goes back to me having my phone in my hand all the time. I think it's because I don't, I'm not that committed to carrying around my planner. So if I'm at the orthodontist or the kid's dentist, or I'm, you know, working or I'm at homeschool co-op or wherever I am and I need to access my calendar, I always have my phone. And so I just tend to think it's more reliable for me. Yeah. And so what about books when you're doing all this reading? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Books are paper a hundred percent all the time. I hate reading eBooks. I hate it. Okay. (laughs) With a big H. Hate it. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if we've ever had someone be that, that sure of themselves. I read a lot of books. So I have a big feeling about this, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Number one, I will forget that I am reading it. And so I will read like 20 pages and completely forget it exists. And so it's because it's not in front of me. Number two, it doesn't give me that paper feeling of like turning the pages. And I kind of have a good feeling like when I'm reading of about a third of the book uh, in, you know, up on the left hand page was that one quote. I don't have that. Yes. I'm oriented with an ebook. So, and I can't write in it or use book darts. So that it all just has strikes against it. There's nothing I love about it at all. Yeah. About you. <laughs> I do I do both, but I have to say for people I'm having on my podcast, I want the hard copy for that exact point of I can remember where things were in the book and I want to be able to access them while I'm interviewing them. And I can't do that with an ebook. Yes. Yeah. I do like audiobooks, which would be yeah. digital. But if it's an audiobook I love, I'm probably gonna buy the hard copy too, so that I yeah. can do Mark the same. up the pages and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. I find I read more fiction in ebook format I don't like my nonfiction that way because I you know, mark it up more you say that because I don't actually have the real study results but I, I vaguely remember reading something uh, an article that said like as far as our kids schoolwork, for example having our kids read stories on ebooks doesn't seem to diminish their comprehension or understanding of the story but having them read their textbooks or nonfiction on ebook it does it does affect hmm. their comprehension so I mean yeah. I don't have like the numbers on that but I seem to remember hearing that and that kind of makes sense to me you yeah know? well yeah I think that we can it's that that visual memory where when it's just the story you're not trying to keep track of what's on the page yeah yeah, yeah. well I think we just did our own little research right there right. <laughs> <laughs> shopping would you rather shop online or in the store for sure online yeah store in store shopping is so inefficient I can't handle it okay <laughs> 
<laughs> and four-year-old twins. Boys, and four-year-old twins. Boys, exactly. no less. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay, it's you're making dinner, whatever time you make dinner, and you need a mental break. Do you listen to a podcast or to music? A podcast. Okay, and what are some of your favorites? Oh, oh, this is fun. Okay, I need to grab my podcast app so I can look. I mentioned Dr. Meg Meeker. Yes. That's one of my favorite parenting podcasts. Uh, I really love, I love the way I feel very empowered and confident as a mom mm. when I, not like, oh, I'm doing all this stuff I should, you know. Yeah. I have been, I love the Ann Bogle's What Should I Read Next yes. podcast. I'm, uh, I'm interviewing her on Friday. Oh, you are? Yes. Oh, I love Ann. I just had yeah. lunch with her last week. And, oh, fun. Uh, she, her podcast is fun, and I get so many book recommendations on there, which is helpful because I don't, I don't I read myself, so yeah. I need to read next. She's like one of those I, I desperately, not even really that I want to be on the podcast. I just want her to do literary matchmaking for me. Totally, <laughs> <Please>. totally, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I don't know if you've heard of this one. It's called Ann Croker Writing Coach. Uh-uh. Um, and there are these short little 15 minute episodes that are on writing nonfiction and fiction and sh- a lot on the on creative blocks and getting ideas and blog That's writing fine. as well as book writing. Um, they're very good. Ann Croker, K-R-O-E-K-E-R. She's one that I usually don't miss any from okay. as well. Those sound really good. We will definitely have those in the show notes so people can find them. Okay. Chocolate, milk or dark? Dark or both, but dark if I have to choose. Okay. <laughs> sports or no sports? no sports okay live Isn't that sad I have a, a house full of kids they oh, do goodness. sports but if I got to choose I would say no I am in the same boat <laughs> I will come and I will cheer you on at your sports but if you're not actually on the court then I'm yeah. probably not paying very much attention I'm probably reading my book <laughs> yes <laughs> okay live broadcasting would you rather broadcast or watch oh broadcast okay <laughs> I kind of figured that might be the answer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That, what, that's got to be your answer too, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, your favorite movie? Oh, oh, okay. I have like an old favorite and a new favorite. Can I tell you both? Sure. <laughs> Breaking all the rules. My old favorite's The Notebook because oh, I mean, yeah. it's The Notebook. Yeah. But um, I re- watched The Man Who Invented Christmas lately. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh, I heard the book. I want okay. to read the book really oh, bad. Yeah, I need to read the book. Okay, so it's basically a movie that tells the story of Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol. Yeah. And it's good on so many levels. It's good from the literary perspective. It's just good as a movie. But it's also, for anyone who's listening who's who writes, there's some of that writer, like writer angst. You get a little of the behind the scenes of what it was like for mm. Charles Dickens to be wildly successful and then basically spend his way <laughs> into needing like into a really bad financial situation and having a family and needing to figure out how to live his creative life like yeah nurture his creativity and write in a way that provided for his family it it was so good though i i finished it and wanted to start it back at the beginning and watch again i'm not a huge movie watcher so i felt like that was that one blew me away it was so good yeah i i've heard really good things about the book and so yeah i bet the movie would be really insightful well, you know, Andrew Putua from the Institute for Excellence in Writing, he told me he saw it twice at the theater. Wow. And, yeah. And I thought, okay, that's an endorsement. So yeah. I'll just, like, on a plane, I thought, I'll just watch it. And if it's dumb, I'll turn it off. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it kind of knocked my socks off. It was so good. Ooh, that sounds really good. I'll have to check that out. 
Okay, and the final question, if you were to put yourself on the crunchy spectrum where zero is totally not crunchy and 10 is like singing kumbaya by the fire with your legs unshaven and dreadlocks in your hair, where are you at on that spectrum? Okay, zero is not crunchy at all. Yes. And 10 is, okay. I would. I mean, I'm probably like a five. So okay. I think with my, like the way our family eats, I'm probably higher like more crunchy than an average family okay. um but like I shave my legs yes <laughs> and my armpits too so yes um, all the things <laughs> all the things and I use like Colgate toothpaste you know that okay. kind of thing so okay yeah <laughs> I think yes yeah, five is a very respectable answer yeah yeah I'm kind of schizophrenic in my oh no yeah I shouldn't probably say that but that's probably uh, <laughs> it's okay <laughs> I'm kind of like you know yeah a little bit crunchy about Think some things and then a lot crunchy about others and then not at all crunchy you know uh, yeah I think yeah. I mean I think we all have a little bit of that tendency you know I I consider myself pretty crunchy but I also just bought a bag of snappers from Costco so yeah. you know yeah. exactly there's that <laughs> yeah I mean we buy all organic food for the most part whenever we can control it but yeah. I never really got on board with cloth diapers so you know. uh, yeah and see I did <laughs> So, yeah, but I didn't, I didn't have twins. So, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I tried cloth diapers when I didn't have twins with a single baby. And I just thought, wow, this is so much work. (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah. But I wasn't devoted enough to stick with it. For me, it was like accessorizing. And so, I mean, they're so cute. Like a baby toddling around in a cloth diaper is like, I mean, that's just too much. You can't stand it. So cute. And especially when you have boys and there's like not really other ways to accessorize them. And so my first two were boys and that's what happened. They got cute diapers. So, (laughs) yep. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. I really appreciate it. It was such a joy talking to you. Oh, it was a delight. Thank you, Mackenzie. I really appreciate it. And I hope your book just does smashingly well. So thank you. Isn't she great? I just had so much fun chatting with Sarah, being able to kind of reconnect after a while and talk about her amazing new book. I think you guys are really going to love it too. And I can attest to the fact that it's even great at two times the speed in the audiobook. So be sure that you check that out. It's an amazing resource for great book lists. And I think you guys are really going to like it. If you want links to anything that we mentioned in this episode, you can go to boldturquoise.com forward slash 062 and be able to get all the links and the notes and everything. And remember, if you want in on the Lovely Homeschool course, which is reopening today for sale prices, you can go to the lovelyhomeschoolcourse.com. You can find out all about it, watch an introductory video, see what other women have had to say about it. And I would love for you to be able to join us in that course throughout this summer and prepare for your best homeschooling year yet. Also, if you just want a little bit more of the fun and lovely of CTL, then be sure that you are not missing out on our brand new podcast that we have in our Patreon community called What Ingrid and Fiona Like, which is just fun and goofy with my best friend, Rebecca. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash cultivating the lovely. It's open to all members of $5 or more. And come join our Facebook group. We're having so much fun over there. There's great conversation. People are really able to get ideas from each other and form community around all sorts of different ideas. You can find us at facebook.com and search Cultivating the Lovely. Okay, ladies, until next week, when we are officially going to be in May, I can't even believe it. Go be bold and gracious. Mm